Welcome to Parenting That Kid. My name is Ashley Tolliver. As a mom of twins, one being a highly sensitive child who responds to the world in a non-traditional and sometimes challenging way, I understand the desire to find the golden answer. Maybe there is no golden answer, but there are resources, tips, and tricks we can all use to help us make this uniquely normal parenting journey a little more fun. This podcast is a roadmap to parenting that kid for myself and other parents. If recording my journey as I seek a clear starting point, community, and effort to normalize what sometimes feels abnormal supports at least one parent, then my time is not wasted. And hey, if it doesn't, well, there's documented proof that moms deserve a glass of wine. Cheers! Are you a parent who's on the fence about having your child tested and traditionally diagnosed? Are you trying to weigh the pros and cons? Are you unsure if that's really the path you wanna go down with your child. Today's episode of Parenting That Kid, I speak with Jada D'Angelo, a counselor who has worked both in the public and private school settings across the ages. Jada and I have a true in-depth conversation about what that means to have a diagnosis and what that can do and cannot do for your child. I think it's a question that many, many parents tackle when they first see something different in their child And I think it's an important topic that parents need to discuss because in the end, every parent wants their child to succeed and not struggle. And maybe having a diagnosis is the answer your child needs, or maybe it's not. I hope today's conversation helps you find some clarification in that question. All right. Well, thank you, Jada, for joining me today. I am thrilled to have you on here. I am also just super blessed that I get to work in your community of people. And I know that you have a lot of experience working with students who might um, fall on a different side of the scale, whether it's neurodiversity or it's social emotional, there's just a lot in today's world and our children. But I brought you on, after you shared a little about yourself, I want us to talk about the importance of having a child diagnosed or maybe not diagnosed and what that looks like on the school side. So thank you so much. Can you give a little bit of bio about yourself and then we'll go on from there. Sure, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I love this topic. I could talk forever. (laughs) Yay. A bio about myself. Okay. Um, So I guess the short version would be that I always thought I was going to go to medical school and that was my path. And I was actually going to be entering medical school in August and toured a kindergarten in, I think it was April. Um, And that time had a two-year-old myself. And when I saw this particular kindergarten and how they nourish children and it like this light bulb went off in my mind where I thought, oh my gosh. So I wanted to be an MD and then I was going to practice functional medicine. Mm-hmm. And I saw this teacher, I was like, oh wow, she is like the functional medicine version of a teacher. And I, I don't know, it was like pretty instantaneous. I decided right there that I was going to switch career paths. Wow and become an educator, which was a really big change, obviously, um, and applied to a school and really left in May. And I think I had toured the other school in April and decided um, to go pursue a master's, a double master's in Waldorf education, holistic special education, and with a public school certification. Wow. So much at once. Way to go. So much at once. Strongly was very strongly discouraged (laughs) from that. Uh, But I, that's what I wanted. I wanted all of it. And so I did it. And through that path was able to have been able to 
not only I worked at schools before that as well. So I, I was, I've been teaching for about gosh, 10 years, a little bit more. Um, but then was able to have been able to teach at public schools and a variety of private schools, a Montessori school, Waldorf, two Waldorf schools, um, just different environments. And I think it was about mm, three or four years ago, really realized that my favorite part of teaching was advocating with families mm-hmm. on behalf of students and their families. Mm-hmm. And at another little aha moment, I want to go into counseling. So went back again, <laughs> much oh. to the dismay of my family, <laughs> um, and did a, a post kind of masteral degree and now I'm doing counseling. And now you're, wow. Okay. That's like a whole bunch and very condensed. And I don't, my brain just went, wow, so much good for you. And, and you're really good at what you're doing because I, I am just blessed again to be working in the same community that you're in. And I know that you have knowledge and value to share with these students. And these are the families too, right? It is really a family experience. Mm-hmm. It's not just an individual thing. Um, and so I brought you on because we had a conversation, I don't know, a month ago, month and a half ago about children with ADHD. We both have are walking that line in our lives as parents. Mm-hmm. And I have, I'm just like a stalker on ADHD groups because I want to learn everything I possibly can. So mom groups, mom blogs, books, podcasts, mm-hmm. all of that. And one common thread that I see a lot, and I get this as a mother myself when I was starting this journey, is the fear of having your child diagnosed mm-hmm. and the lack of support or maybe your kid does have support, but it's not the correct support and is a diagnosis necessary? Is support in school necessary? There's this fear of the label. And I, and I right. say label loosely because I think we all have labels. We just don't know them really. There's right. no norm in the world. Um, but there's that fear behind parents. And that's a common thread no matter where you live in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I asked you to come because I think you probably can bring some background to both sides, yes and no, of having a diagnosis or the support at school and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's such a good question. And you're right. I see it also both as a professional and as a mama. And I actually started, you know, on that paradigm really of not wanting my now 10 year old to be diagnosed and not wanting a label. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw differences from a very young age and was, you know, started with occupational therapy and working and through that path. And, um, then changed my mind, basically changed my mind when I saw that there was a point that this difference that he was experiencing was affecting friendships mm-hmm. and family relationships okay. and causing to affect self-esteem, oh. right? When it's saying like, what is happening? Why is this different? Why am I different? Why am I not sitting to listen to this topic or why, gosh, why, why did I just blurt this out? Of course, there's, you know, typical blurt outs and everything with any 10 year old, but you know, he was becoming aware of that. And I realized by not letting him know what I had observed and what I was already thinking, he was just starting to think that there was something like less than, or as opposed to different. Right. And that is a really important, minute, but actually really important viewpoint. You know, it really, I was tugging him into bed one night and he said, Mama, can you help me with my brain? I want to be more in control and I want to be able to be in different scenarios and, you know, calm and not calm or, or be successful in different environments. That's really big. Wow. Way to go. It is really big. And then I realized, yes, I can. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to address this elephant in the room. 
that for some reason I felt very protective of not sharing with him, you know, my observations and not wanting to label like you're saying. And actually even resentful towards a school counselor who at one point was said, you really need to take him in and have him evaluated. Um, and it was out of, if I'm really honest with myself and I reflect, I think it was also some of my own anxiety around that. And not, you know, being willing to, to say it, then I had to grieve whatever story or path I thought he was gonna be on. And I wasn't quite ready for that piece. But then when I was, I, and I started reframing in my mind and with the students I work with and their families, you know, I love um, Neil Hollowell. Uh, and he's always saying like, oh, it's not, you know, a disorder, it's just a difference. And when I really started working with that and really started believing that and really, you know, meeting all these different brains that are so diverse and so different and so wonderful and just all part of this tapestry of this colorful world that we're in and stopped quantifying things as normal, not normal or less than, more than, I realized, well, gosh, like why, if, if I have a slow metabolism, I would hate for someone not to tell me so that I didn't know that I could, you know, whatever, wake up at this time or go to sleep at this time and improve it or that I could start eating more and kind of anti-dieting to build up my metabolism. I would hate not to know that. And then my son is the same way. Why would he? And then he's like, oh, so my brain is different. I said, yes, it's different. He goes, oh, so then we can, you know, I said, now we can give you some tools and you can learn how to work with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not just that you can't quote, sit still, you know, and he actually doesn't, he's not necessarily like the hyperactive piece of that, but just as an example, um, you know, the inflexibility, the super hyper focus, Yep. You know, oh, why can't I hear you when you're saying, Lyric, go, go, go do this, go do this, go do this. And then I get in trouble. What is that? You know, why is my cousin able to hear his mom and I don't hear you? So then all these tools. And it really switched. I, in my personal experience, saw him become much more empowered. Yeah. It's like you gave him the power. You handed him the power to understand that. That mm-hmm. feels so home to me because that's a sim- very similar situation with my daughter. And um, I... I was very nervous to share the technical words with her, ADHD or you know, ADD, whatever your child might be on, mm-hmm. um, because of the label. But I also thought, gosh, if we share what that is, can you imagine the world that I just opened for her and all the things? And then to share, there are so many things, like you're talking about metabolism. There are so many things in this world that are, have labels and we just naturally say them. Mm-hmm. You're blonde or your green eyes, or, you know, you're a lefty, you're a righty. Like, it's just how we, and I, it's how I share with my daughter. It's just so that we can verbally communicate with each other. This is just a word that we can share so that you know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't mean any difference in your brother's brain or your dad or your grandma or anything like that. We all have these uniqueness about us that we have to have a verbal word to share. And then it it, it feels empowering to them. It does. And then I think to parents, for me, I mean, it's, for me, for sure, it feels empowering because it makes things make so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I can be proactive. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you see that then? Like if there's a parent, I'm going to play the other side. Now there's a parent sure. that says, I don't want my kid to know. I absolutely don't. And we're just going to go along with all the stuff that we have to go along with, but I'm going to keep that as a secret from mm-hmm. my child. How do you feel like as a counselor, somebody works with this child that you have to walk that fine line and yet still support them because you know that there's something there that they need these tools 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how do you think that's going to affect the child in the long run or even short term? Like you said, relationships, that's so big. Mm-hmm. It's really, it is a tricky line because secrets never, well, I shouldn't say secrets never turn out well, but you know, it <laughs> is, it is almost like the elephant in the room when you're trying to talk to the teachers about these differences, get supports for these differences, potentially seeing different medical advisors, you know, or holistic doctors, acupuncture, whatever you're doing, but you don't want your child to know, <laughs> like, why? Yeah. You know, especially with an ADHD or ADD brain, because, you know, like that why can be very important, <laughs> very important. And you might not be getting any buy-in <laughs> whatsoever. And you're spending all this money on these great alternative integrative you know, therapies and you're trying to get the protein out in the morning and it's just like, no, I'm not cooperating. And why would I? Right, right. But I feel like why? My kids all say, why would I need to do that? Because it's the next step to go. You have to put shoes on because that's the next step to go to here. Exactly. <laughs> I think you have to know the why. You have the, and I really feel like in those brains, I mean, um, other family members as well, that why piece is extraordinarily, you know, important. So I, you, it can be done, but there does come of age where I really think it's, it's pretty impossible to proceed without having a conversation around that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in a school setting, if you're wanting support, because there does come a line where if the support, and I, both as an educator, I'm speaking, you know, of having had these families and these students, most teachers have wonderful hearts and wonderful intentions and really want to help. But you can be asking too much of your teacher and individual attention for a child. And if you are not willing or wanting to have the testing or the quote unquote label, then you can really be stretching that teacher thin, very thin. And most schools, usually around third grade, it depends on the school, will get to a point where they're going to notice that you are just asking for more resources than that human being can offer. Mm -hmm. And if you need more resources, that you are actually going to have to do some sort of testing. Uh, And it's, it's helpful. You know, I've seen it. I've, I've seen all the way up to college, someone not doing testing and then getting to college and just crashing and burning and getting the testing as an adult and then getting accommodations in college. is much more difficult than entering. If that's your purpose and intention and, and entering secondary education with those in place. So anytime I meet a high school student, that is their family is on the fence. I'm always strongly encouraging that. So it's so much easier pre college than once you're in I would also imagine like college or even high school when your relationships and emotions are just Mm -hmm. like huge in your life yes your self you know verbal abuse to your own self is really awful at that point if you've had a struggle all these years and never known why or what or how to help that you're going to tell yourself awful things and you're going to start to believe that where maybe had you known so much earlier in your life you'd have gone, oh, but that's because, and then there's this to help me kind of thing. Absolutely. And work through. Really? I mean, high school, I would never say there's any point that's too late. You know, I, I have a a beloved family members who in their forties who haven't yet officially received the diagnosis. And I think it's just now starting to come to a point where like, oh, I think I want to do this. Why, why are my coworkers able to take this exam? And I study four times as long and I still fail, you know, instead of just invalidating yourself. You know, it's still, so it's never too late to learn about your brain. Never, ever. But I have seen many cases where in high school with that greater freedom, 
mm-hmm. uh, and more opportunity to make serious decisions as far as like impulse control is concerned with more serious consequence mm-hmm. that I, I personally do like to have students have those supports as well. And like that support going into high school yeah, it can be pretty tricky to be, you know, 16 and not knowing that you are seeing things different or that you could be more impulsive or what does the lower level dopamine mean for your brain, you know, as far as drinking and experimenting, right. what does that mean? It's like an educational piece. Um, it can be pretty tricky to, I just think, again, it's all about empowering, 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 empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you touched on that. Oh, that's a, like that's a, a fear of mine. Um, that lower level of dopamine because that's what they they seek that right. Well, we all love dopamine. I mean, that is why we all are happy and we get excited. You know, Christmas is coming, or you know, we eat that turkey a little bit more, um, and we all love that. And but they just have that lower level, so they seek it and they find it, and it's amazing. And mm-hmm. but in high school, they're already that frontal lobe is already like, meh, I'm not going to be awake yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have the ability to make great choices and then you crave something and so you go out to do that and to find that and it you know and then that that impulse control can really struggle and that that's a hidden fear of mine that I that I'm already like how do we work on finding that happiness now at a young age that's safe Mm -hmm. that's in within those boundaries because you know you're going to need it it's just who you are and you're that and you mentioned that the parent the teacher is being overwhelmed the other other side I would say to that is that when we got diagnosed when my daughter was diagnosed the pediatrician um, gave me all these things I was supposed to say to her, to her teacher or ideas of things to say to her teacher. And I, I thanked her and I, you know, they're all wonderful. And I've already had many conversations with her teacher and it's just the blessing of where she is in school right now. Um, but it was to let the teacher know that she cannot yell or reprimand the child the same that she would to maybe do other students because her brain will not hear that. And again, I've had many conversations and we love her teacher. And so it's never been a concern, but that triggered me going, oh my gosh, I mean, a teacher needs to know too, because if they're talking to the child next to your child the same way, it's not going to click. It's just over their head. Absolutely. I mean, I had a student once that was dealing with a different neurodifference and first impulse was no. Like, would you like ice cream? No. Would you like this? No. Everything was no. So it was really quite shocking when I, when the beginning of the year, you know, at first it was just like, oh, okay. And then it's, and then it, but it was consistent and he, predictable and certain that it was going to be no. And so by talking to his parents and learning about this difference, I was able to not put any attention or energy into that because he did not mean it. It was an impulsive answer, Right. And, but you would see when another teacher would come in or a substitute or a specialist, how, what, what did he, you know, where, and then is that a behavioral issue? Is that something we need to address? Is that, you know, there's a whole list of things and a whole path you could go down with that if you don't understand mm-hmm. and you don't know. So again, yes, it's so empowering for the teacher. I really appreciated those conversations with parents. I always have those conversations with teachers of either my own kiddos or students and most of the time gosh i i actually don't ever remember if there has not been a time when i've had a one-on-one talk with a teacher that they didn't almost like take a breath of like relief okay so this is what's happening and then sometimes there's concern about how in the world can i now support this student like what is this list that you're asking me to you know now do (laughs) then that's where luckily you know you have student support and it does that's another important piece because really even a lot of private schools and they can vary, but even specific ones I personally have worked at in the Austin area, 
will not consistently provide accommodations past third grade. Is that because of like legal documentation or is that kids grow up out of it? What's, why would somebody stop all of a sudden and not need support? Well, you know, there's a, it's a kind of, there's a couple layers. One is that academically, pretty much all curriculums, no matter what pedagogy you're with, there is quite a big jump. Mm -hmm. Third grade is kind of where it starts getting real, you know, and academic expectations are higher. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also resources. So the school, a lot of schools are looking at the point of, okay, so if we need to now be providing like pullouts and one-on-one and maybe an aid and this, like we definitely need to make sure that we're having the support there. Mm-hmm. And it can be a big, um, yes, like you're saying, legally, some schools, I mean, public schools, it's different. You know, it starts very much earlier, depending on that district. Um, if you're really requesting like additional accommodations and supports, they are, you're going to, you, you don't just go into the school and say, oh, my child needs this help. You're going to need documentation. In private schools, there can be a lot of more fluctuation, but I think that they have just learned through empirical evidence, like, ooh, right around this period, this is a good point to know because academics are about to kick up social emotional interactions change a lot in third grade so then you have a lot of more social pressure that you know it's not as typical for first kinder and second graders it really amps up in third grade and even more in fourth and fifth um so a lot of different layers for that but it is a big that mm-hmm. is well, also traditional testing starts in third grade other okay. tests, more typical environments so yeah. And you spoke of relationships and then that changes. Like there's a shift and I remember a shift in third grade and mm-hmm. then again, six or seventh, I was like, who are all you people? And then yeah. again, high school, right? And then you don't even know what you're doing in high school. Yeah. But there's that shift in third grade. And if a child, like you had mentioned relationships is one thing you noticed with your son. Mm-hmm. And I, um, it's something we probably noticed about a year ago with our daughter. Like we really have to work on fostering other relationships, not just the ones that she's managed to cling to that are working really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, she, if you don't support that, when that third grade period comes and every child is starting to go through that change, it can really just bring them down even more. And the struggle just is heightened. And unfortunately, yeah. if the resources are not there or there are less resources, now you really have a mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I will even, like speaking of relationships, if it looks as if he is making a, a new friend and this is going to be something, we're going to have them at our house, he's going to go there. Mm-hmm. I usually will even speak to their parents. I love it. And just have an open dialogue about differences. Like, you know, just, and yes, you know, safety concerns at the house and just share like that there truly is like, he's not, this, this child presents as really can't be left alone mm-hmm. or there can't be anything in that home. You know, there is no, like the impulse control is very low and just have these type of conversations so that they're ready as well. And then he has a pleasant experience. And then I don't put him into situations where he would fail. So, um, all those pieces. And I wouldn't know that if I hadn't known that, oh, this is what's happening with him. Right. I know. I think that the label fear is so terrifying. Um, but I I think it's also so empowering for the parent to know and the child, you know, there's this article I read about if your child is labeled, they can't do all these things as an adult. So I, a simple uh, explanation would be like joining the military. If your child has these certain labels, they can't do all Mm -hmm. these things, but it, there is this, um, there was a sense of like, well, we're taking opportunities away, but maybe those opportunities would not have really been there anyway, because there would have been no support along the journey. And mm-hmm. we don't know what the end outcome is going to be anyway. But if we don't give the support 
through these next years, mm-hmm. whatever happens at the end probably won't be as powerful and good for them. Right. Um, and and so I, fear, for sure. My husband is very much in that yeah. camp. Do not, do not was like, do not, I do not want any labels. I do not want yeah. any documentation. And if that really does matter to you, you know, when we first went this path, we did it all privately. Mm-hmm. You, you, I, yeah. I did not share those test results with my son for at least two years. Okay. And I did not do it through the, I did not use, do any testing through the public school he was at at that time. I did it all privately. So then I could share things with this mm-hmm. teacher, but it wasn't documented through the school. So that's an option. I didn't, I honestly didn't even know that was an option because we just did the pediatrician way. I didn't know right. we could do that privately. Wow. Okay. And then, you know, I've evolved to where like you're saying, okay, I really don't. Uh, and I would tell the teacher, he, we haven't shared this with him, but this is the case. Now I wasn't requesting an aid or mm-hmm. even a 504 or IEP necessarily. So that could have changed. Um, you know, at that time we didn't really need extra time for testing or any of those resources. So that could have changed, but it would just help the teacher. You know, at one point he kept getting in trouble for wiggling. Oh, big surprise. And <laughs> in this school used like taking recess away, which of course breaks oh, any yeah. like mothers or counselors or anyone's yeah. heart that knows. But at least by talking to his teacher, they, were, they said, okay, well, he's going to walk the track. That is even that little piece is huge, right? Then as opposed to sitting against a wall, which you just hate to see any child, you know, neuro, normal, typical, yeah. it's terrible. But that conversation was, you know, oh, he, he'll, he can walk the track. Oh, so he's okay. moving, you know, he's moving and waving. <laughs> Not my ideal, but better. So it's just little things like, but my husband really was so anti-label. And I think he, he has come a, you know, he's come around and it's starting to shift as far as, you know, what these labels would mean. And what they would, the influences that they would cause. And, and not, you know, I laugh because my husband is a firefighter and I go in the fire station and like 99.99% of all firefighters are definitely not neurotypical. They are because they're craving that you have to be able to, to climb into a fire building. You need to, you're craving that dopamine face. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you go in the ER, these brilliant ER doctors. Yeah, a lot of them are not. I'm not going to say every single one, of course, but you know, there is a lot of neurodiversity and jobs that you might, that are actually really well esteemed. Yes. I mean, I love, that's so <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, we actually looked up people. I said, when, when I started sharing with my daughter, I really was trying to figure out how do we share this and make it positive. So we really talk about how everybody's brain is different in our family mm-hmm. and gave you know, daddy does this, grandma does this, your brother's this. And, mm-hmm. um, and she started to get that. And now she'll be oh, yeah, my brain's different. And it's just so nonchalant. Yep. My, my, my brain's different. I'm like, isn't that so cool? And we talk about how awesome that is. And then we'll talk about the people who have a brain similar to hers, which just really makes her feel empowered. If she learns about some zookeeper that she loves, she right. got oh, their brain's like mine. Then yeah. it really gets her on this train to actually be more motivated. I will say she goes, okay, I want to be like that. And off she goes where it yes. takes a lot of motivation for us. Yes. I mean, so many, yes, it's so beautiful. I love that. That is like the pixie dust. You know, those are the moments where when you're in power, when we taught him about his brain, then he realized, you know, he was playing baseball, like the worst possible position is outfield, right? The worst, like there's my son, Lemingo, there's my son doing a cartwheel. There's, you know, like no way. And then when we were talking about his brain one day, he says, oh, I bet I'd be a good catcher. Yeah, action. And you know, t- the tenacity is like out of this world, right? <laughs> with this, usually with these type of brains. So yeah. he worked his 
little rear end off. And this coach did the best possible thing and told him he wasn't good enough to be a catcher. So of course that just makes him want it more. Yeah. So that was what, thank you to that coach in the most loving <laughs> way. And he worked and became a catcher and is a stellar catcher. Oh. The focus, people keep coming up to me and I, I, it just makes me laugh so much because they say his focus is like incredible. <laughs> And it's, uh, it's like hit dopamine. It's just like coursing through his body because he is right there in oh. the action. Oh, I love it. Oh, those are success stories. And that's, that's mm-hmm. it right there. Had, right. He not, had he not known and how to adjust life to create that moment, that would have been such a mess. Oh, I love it. Right. He would just, could you hear, you know, not always, but I, I commonly hear, I should say, I will put this on myself. I commonly hear, oh, my ADHD kiddo, spouse, et cetera, et cetera. It's not a good athlete. Mm-hmm. It's pretty common. And that he would have just thought he was bad at baseball. Not true. I really don't think that is true at all. It's just, you have to find the right, you have to know yourself. And if you know what's happening, then you can know yourself. And then you find your spot. And then, you know, that's how you can, oh, where do yeah. I, where do I excel in this? And it excels the word because they, once they find something, I mean, they're more, I would say, the students and children that I know that have ADHD are actually more dedicated in areas than I probably would put any energy. Yes, and that can turn someone's entire <laughs> viewpoint of themselves around. Yeah. We, we have a, a girl like that in our community and really like I would hear con- continual negativity about her behaviors. And when she figured out, no, 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 she can, she is like the best soccer goalie ever, which is similar, right, to the catcher. And all those behaviors that were kind of being complained about and, you know, I live in a small town, so unfortunately, some of this stuff shrivels through. Oh, now, when I hear about her, it's like, oh, my gosh, she is an amazing goalie. That's so cool. And what a different viewpoint. What a different reputation in, a t- in your community to have, a different self-view, a different, I mean, the implications of that are endless, right? Endless. Yeah. Have you worked with children where you've seen the growth of that? I mean, I know you've seen them in your own child, but have you worked with children where you've seen them struggling and you're, you are helping counsel them at school or out of school. And then as they grow and they learn and they become who they are, have you seen that growth? Oh yes. I, gosh, oh. I'll tell you, I mean, I'll be quick with it. Just one of my favorite stories is when I met him, he was 17 and there had been some testing and like, diagnosis but way back I think in third grade and then just kind of you know especially with this whole COVID and online learning just kind of completely dropped and was essentially being told you like you are not going to graduate high school and already older because I had to repeat a grade oh gosh right so there's a lot of uh there are a lot of factors there but I just fell in love with this kiddo just and his amazing brain that was so is not was is so different than many of his peers and the more I, you know, connection is so important, you know, connection, how do we get dopamine, connection, movement, all these things. So he, I really put extra attention to connect with him. And when I started learning more about his story, he was such a genius because like, as we're in lockdown, he was riding his bike around downtown Austin and parking outside of restaurants to watch the chefs because he likes cooking. What? Yes. So, cool. so here is he online during his classes? No, not necessarily. <laughs> is, he, is he like, you know, pretty much incapable of sitting in front of a computer and listening to someone talk? Yes. Okay. But is he strolling around downtown Austin because he, <laughs> his favorite person ever was Anthony Bourdain. And so he is looking and some, a chef saw him. 
Because day after day, he would be outside just watching and taking notes. And they saw him and invited him in. And he got himself a job as a line cook. What? I know. He ended up working. I think he's still now working at the Hilton downtown. And he was just, not only did he graduate, but he was just accepted into the Seattle Culinary Academy. And this was a kiddo, is a kiddo, I keep saying was, because he graduated, so in my mind, you know, was. is a kiddo that had very neurotypical siblings and was the youngest and was so down on himself and has, and you know, family, there's a lot of disappointment around that and not understanding military family, very academically gifted siblings, just true misconception, not understanding of him and the see his self-esteem and self-appreciation and validation really like, I feel like it was like my kid that graduated. It was like, like, I mean, so wonderful. And I cannot wait to see what he's going to do because he is amazing. And I just cannot wait. I really cannot wait. I always tell him when you open your restaurant, I get a window table. (laughs) I'll be there opening night. That was somewhat unusual to be, you know, 17, uh, now 19, but kind of, you know, what some would consider later in the process, really. But huge turnaround and transformation. That is so cool. That is so, that's so fun. Those are the stories that make this, this diagnosis really magical because it is. And there's just, people just don't know, right? They see, and the struggle is so intense. It's so real, but they don't see the other side. This is so cool. He was just came, he kept coming over and and seeing me and his self-talk was so derogatory. So derogatory. I know he would never speak about a friend like that. And that's how he was speaking about himself. And it took a while, but at one point I just realized, no, you're not stupid, dumb. All of these terms that he was labeling himself, a failure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, different. Mm. And when I would share his story about, you know, his culinary skills, and then he would, he started cooking for different teachers and everyone's viewpoint of him was able to change. Yeah. Evan, now he found, I mean, gosh, just such a cool person, such a cool person. And that, I see versions of that a lot, although that was kind of recent and has been on my mind. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Okay, so what would you say to parents who, um, who are at the beginning of this? They either have a diagnosis and they haven't shared with their child. They don't know if they need to go get a diagnosis or maybe they know they need to and they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for advice or words of wisdom on that end? It sounds very basic, but over and over I see, do not take this personally. Mm. Mm. Just start there. Like if I was just working with a second grade mama, she's seeing all sorts of signs that she's not willing to do more because she is taking this behavior so personal as, and such as like a lack of a fault, a, was it something prenatally birth labor? You know, if you are seeing differences in your kiddo pretend like you're a detective and just notice them step back don't blame yourself don't fault yourself don't start trying to label yourself notice but be honest and just start noticing and then start seeking out professionals that you trust and you like and that takes some work and I'm not going to lie about that (laughs) it really does it really does get a care team for yourself and just start inching towards those steps. And when, you know, when it, you will, if you are feeling that there is a difference or something going on with your kiddo, you are the biggest, the best, the most knowledgeable expert of your kiddo. There is, 
Mm-hmm. Most likely, unless you, you know, there are a few scenarios that wouldn't be the case, but there probably is a difference. You're right. And kiddos don't want to struggle. Kiddos do not want to be in trouble all the time. Kiddos don't want to not like school. They don't want to have hard time with relationships. They want to play. They want to connect. They want to enjoy themselves. So if you're seeing the adverse chronically and more than not, trust your gut. Don't take it personally and just pretend like you're a detective and go to work. You know, just research it and just try to be as impartial as possible. And just keep every time those feelings come up, you know, acknowledge the grief or the fear, but don't project that on your kid. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need to go get an ADHD coach for you or, a, you know, a counselor for yourself, like dialogue and process that as an adult. And then just be that detective and that advocate for your child and build your team. And it will take some time. But once you get your team, it'll be so well worth it. And then you just start learning tools and it never stops. It's not as if you learn a tool and you're like, okay, no, 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 no. It doesn't stop. It actually grows because your child grows and they've learned things or their tools need to shift. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like anything in parenting, right? You think you've mastered it and boom, no, you haven't. You have to go on to the next and the next. Yeah. Yes. That's such good advice. That is find your team and be the detective. I say that to people all the time when they ask me, how did you learn so much about your child? And I, I started with my son who I'm pretty sure has ADD. I just know enough about my daughter and the tools there that we're just incorporating it over for him right now. Sure. We're dealing with her and then we'll go to him. Mm-hmm. But I just said, I started literally writing things down. I used to use old notebooks and old calendars and I would just write them down today to, you know, he ate this or this happened. And then I would look for patterns and I would look for yes. moments in time. Like, were we crazy busy and not giving him the time he needed? Or were we really slow? And he was just like craving it. And after just documenting for two weeks, I just documented, I even pulled up my phone, like the notes there, wherever I could just put something mm-hmm. after two weeks, I quickly learned a lot about him. And then from there, I was able to go and do some research. Like you said, find your care team, mm-hmm. find out who I needed as a parent and who he needed. And again, repeated all this for my daughter. Right. Yeah, that's and awesome. That's, yeah. And I think it helps you become your own advocate and the advocate yeah. for your child because you have proof, right? You have this two-week documentation, which is proof enough for me that I know something is different. Right. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to advocate for this because this is what didn't work. And now we're switching and this is what does work. And so I need other people to know this is what does work. Yes. And, and you'll hear pushbacks and negativity. And I always say, you're always going to get that. That's just the mm-hmm. world and just be that strong advocate for your child. I'm like, no, this is what's working for them. So this is what we need to keep doing. A hundred percent. I agree. I mean, couldn't agree more. That's great. And I really think that that detective journaling viewpoint really, at least for me, it really does help me not take it personally. Cause I will take it all on like, oh gosh, you know, and then not, I might be thinking, what did I do? What's happening? <laughs> then that is most likely where the whole stigma around the label even comes from yeah right as opposed to just like oh there's a difference like oh yes i have freckles and you do not no i'm not (laughs) gonna go lament the fact that i have freckles (laughs) (laughs) you know and like why did you give me freckles mother what is it you sleep over it (laughs) i'm gonna put on some sunscreen (laughs) have them checked every once in a while and make sure everything's fine (laughs) right oh it's so good i like that well, thank you, Jada, so much. Oh, one more question. Do you have any books that you read as a parent or maybe a counselor that you encourage um, or that you think are really good books? Oh, yes. Gosh, so many. Um, so when you have younger kiddos, my favorite book for like toddler baby age is mm-hmm. any of the Janet Lansbury. 
Yeah. Oh. Um, and it's really like her audio if you have an opportunity to listen, because a lot of people will talk about conscious parenting, but you don't have too many opportunities to actually hear it dialogued out. And yeah. if you listen to her, you know, I used to write down some of the phrases that she would use and then just yeah. copy those. So that, because it's a, that, that could be a whole nother podcast, but conscious, not permissive parenting. So she, right, right. she's <laughs> good. <laughs> she has great language. And so that's really, I love that for toddler and babies. I love what happened to you just as an adult, um, just to understand trauma and trauma influences um, and what that can look like for your family and like family tree and, and not necessarily, you know, ADHD or no differences, but sometimes there is an earlier traumatic event that, you know, it, well, overstresses the nervous system. So it's very helpful. I think that's really helpful just to learn all about the nervous system and how this all works. And it's a good read. And it's, yes, it's, I just love that book. What is it called again? What Happened to You. What Happened and it's, to um, You. Oprah Winfrey is one of the co-authors. And I can't remember the doctor off the top. I just saw his name and it flashed in my brain and left. But those are the two, oh, of course, all of the... Um, the brain, which teaches you the model of the brain. You know what I mean? Yes. 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 Okay. Oh yes. Yeah. You know, in Austin, we, she actually moved, but we had a great resource. We still have Carrie Conti. She's been on USA Today and mm-hmm. several other shows. She does not have a book per se, but she does have quite a lot of literature. And her whole concentration is around almost like parenting the parent. Mm. So mm. she's a really good resource Carrie as well. Conti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, oh, these are good. Yeah. Yay. Well, thank you, Jada. These are wonderful. And thank you for sharing your words of wisdom here. Of course. Thank you for having me. I could talk about this all day with you. <laughs> and we will you know, talk. My son, who knows what's happening in my house. So I, better, I better not talk about it all day. <laughs> we should probably focus them in. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. If you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. This podcast is for you, the parent of that kid. So go ahead. Tell me what you liked about this episode. Give me some ideas on what you'd like to hear. Maybe you have somebody you'd like me to ask those nitty gritty questions to. I'm ready. Oh, and if you have a friend who is also the parent of that kid, click that share button and empower them with some tools and tips as well. And by the way, imperfect parent, I know parenting that kid is hella hard, but I'm telling you it's worth it. You are rocking this parenting journey.